Hey friends, are you unsure of what to say on social media or what to even send in your weekly emails? Well, what if creating content could be easy? Would you be looking for a shortcut to creating consistent content? Yes, consistent content, because you know consistency is key. Well, let me tell you, you are not alone when you feel like you're struggling on what to post or what to write in emails. And we know that you have that product part of your business down. But as you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know that to get more people to your products, to buy your products, you need to create great content. Oh, I know, I see. I keep saying content, and that's the dreaded C word. And we can't tell you how many product bosses tell us that they want to create great content for their audience and their customers, but they don't know what to say, or they are so busy, they can't find the time, or they really, really, really don't want to be the face of their brand. Well, no worries, because that's exactly why we created a year of content. It is your shortcut to creating consistent content that resonates with your audience and brings more loyal customers who can't wait to buy your products. If you want to see how easy this is and how easy it is to create content for your audience and your customers, head to www.ayearofcontent.com. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlo-Sitap, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my super creative co-host, Mina Kunlo-Sitap. Okay, so today is such an exciting episode for all of you. We are thrilled, ecstatic, overjoyed with the person that is going to be on, and uh, no pun intended, but we have Joy Cho, the Joy Cho of Oh Joy on the podcast today. We are so delighted and honored that she came on to share just just such her creativity, how she's grown her brand, how she's collaborated with brands like Target and Band-Aids. And she's going to share it with you here today because Joy Cho is a graphic designer, blogger, author, entrepreneur, and a mama of two. She's the founder and creative director of the lifestyle brand, Oh Joy, known for bringing joy to the world every day. She has authored six books and has consulted for hundreds of businesses around the world. Oh Joy creates a wide range of licensed products, including home decor, baby and nursery, pet, travel, and furniture collections. And for two years in a row, Joy was named the one of the Times' most 30 influential people on the internet and has the most followed account on Pinterest with over 15 million followers. And side note, she is also in the Guinness Book of World Records um, for that Pinterest stat right there. So Joy and her husband have two daughters and they live in Los Angeles. You can follow her along at Ojoy and on Pinterest. I'm sure you're already following her. And without further ado, we cannot wait to bring this episode to you. So let's jump in. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, Joy. Thank you for having me. 
We are so excited to have you. We were saying in our pre-call that we um, are big fans, have been for a long time and sort of followed your journey. And so we're so honored and excited to have you here and share all of your information with our community. Thank you. So happy to see you guys. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one of our favorite things that we tell our listeners, so everybody, you know that we all know this, is everybody has their own, what we call path to profit, their own version of success, what, what it looks like. So I think the exciting part of having Joy on here is that she has a completely different path to profit than anybody else. Her journey looks different than everybody's and she's carved it out on her own too. So um, I want you all to recognize that as far as um, all of our journeys look so different. And hers is definitely one that we haven't had on the podcast yet. So it's going to be really exciting. So let's go back to the early days. Um, So how did you start? How did you start your career? Well, I went to school for graphic design school, meaning post high school for college um, at Syracuse University. And so I was a very artsy kid. I loved making and creating, but also coming from a parent, a family of immigrant parents where art and design was not something that you thought was going to be profitable or a solid career. It was very hard for me to convince them for me to go into art. So I tried to sort of make both sides happy and I found um, a school that had a great design program, but that it also had other things just in case something happened. I had something to fall back on and I could have like a normal major. Anyway, so I ended up majoring in graphic design. I did stick with it. I graduated with that. I started my career in New York City in 2001 um, as a graphic designer for an ad agency doing a lot of fashion work. And so I really fell in the early days and started really falling in love with fashion as well while I was a graphic designer, um, doing agency work, packaging design, logos, branding, all of that. I ended up transitioning to Cynthia Rowley, who is a fashion designer, and she was one of the first designers to have a collaboration at Target. Now, this is back in 2003 to 2005. I was there roughly. And um, that was my first foray into designing stuff to be on products. And I fell in love with that. I loved it so much. It was more physical and tactile than some of the previous things I was doing, which were part of branding. And so um, I sort of got hooked on like having had two different design jobs, knowing which of those I love the most. And so from there, I had a life switch where I was moving back to Philadelphia, where I'm from, because my boyfriend at the time, now my husband was starting his long-term residency. We were getting ready to get engaged and move in together and all that stuff. And so I had no job. And as I was interviewing, I started freelancing because I needed to make ends meet. And I started a blog in 2005. And so this, this year was sort of pivotal for me. 2005 is when I, when I started Ojoy as a freelance design company, as a blog, Meanwhile, I was thinking I was going to get another job, but I didn't because as things grew, I was able to sort of realize, oh, I could just continue to do this and maybe I could do it full time. And so happy accidents for sure, because I had no intentions of starting a business. My parents are entrepreneurs. They um, are from Thailand. And my dad started one restaurant back when he first came with four other owners slowly bought them out until he could afford to own one himself. And then he had a second restaurant, a third and a fourth. And I saw how hard my parents worked and they were never home. And in my mind, that was what a boss was. It was somebody who was never around for their family. And so 
I think I internalized that. And I was like, I will never have a business. But I also don't think I realized as a kid that a restaurant is also a different kind of business than the business that I have and that, and that you guys have too. So um, I fell into it by accident, but at the same time, I have never looked back. And I think the crazy thing about my career, and I know I'm truncating it really fast for you, is that it started as one thing and has completely gone a different direction in the sense that I was like, okay, I'm a graphic designer. I can design things for other people. I had clients. I designed for other brands. And then as social media grew and as I saw how it was helping me, I was able to slowly slowly, because nothing happens overnight, um, evolve my brand to designing for other people and other brands to focusing on, oh joy, my content, my own products, um, some of it through, a lot of it through licensing, and also just growing a social media grew. You know, I, I think that one of the things that I've done is I've been very flexible as certain platforms have come and gone and seen what makes sense to stick to for our for our brand and to be able to kind of grow those as it makes sense. And so today, as it stands, Ojoy is a lifestyle brand um, that does creative content on social media. We have products through licensing with other brands. Um, I've written six books and I have a seventh book coming out this fall. And I also do something called the Ojoy Academy, which is mentoring um, other small business owners, mostly women, in terms of helping them with their journeys in business. I love it. I, I followed you for so long. I feel like I've seen you everywhere. I even followed you when you were on Periscope, which I know that nobody knows that <laughs> because there's does it even exist still? We don't know. So one of the things I really admire about you and I think for a lot of entrepreneurs too, is that you're an early adopter of many things. Like you said, you're very flexible. So what are some, you know, I know social media is a thorn in the side, but it's also a gift too, a lot of times because you're able to grow um, and you're able to have access to people you never have access to. So what are some things for social media that you felt um, that you really love that platform or what, which ones did you really love and uh, what stands out for you of why you love those specific platforms? So one of the things that I think I've learned over the years with social media is that you don't know what's going to stick. You know, there's a lot of ones that have come and gone. Periscope is a great example. Um, and for those of you who haven't heard of it, it, it was pre-Instagram stories and pre-Instagram live where you go on your live and you can just talk to people. And I would do Q&As. I would show them what we were working on at the office. And I loved it because it gave me a chance to interact with people. But then once Instagram adopted a version, well, anyway. Um, but what I've realized is that something's some things take off and some things don't, but also some things take off for certain groups and for certain, um, whether it's age demographic, whether it's the category that you're in, whatever it might be. Like Snapchat was huge. I joined it. I wasn't really into it. Instagram ended up adopting something similar. So I came back to like where I knew my base was, but it's still big for some people. You know, same thing with like Vine. Vine came and went. I was on it. Didn't really do a ton there. You know, I think that you know, like you don't necessarily know from day one, but there are certain places that you are meant to be. For me, my strongest right now is Instagram and Pinterest because they're both very visual. Instagram, there's definitely more meat and more story and you can connect with people more. Pinterest is, is more, you know, inspiration and visuals and people seeing the things that you want to save, whether it's your content or others. So they're very different, but they are the two places I spend the most of my time. Now, Right now, TikTok is the hottest new thing. 
Am I on it? Yes. Am I like really pushing it a ton? Not really. I'm sort of dabbling in it, but it it's a lot. You know, we're all, if you are juggling social media for your business, you already are figuring, trying to do the best that you can with what you have. But I think the main thing are is to focus on the ones that you know are working the best for you and that have the most potential for you. But don't forget about the other ones. At least sign up, at least save your name. Like that's the one thing I'm sure you've heard before is like, because I've had so many times, especially because, oh, joy is sort of a common, it's like a phrase. I, I didn't get it on most of my social media platforms at first. I've had to wait over time and I've had to wait and like get, you know, apply for different things and all of that. So get the things while you can, even if you're like, what? I am not going to go on that at all. It doesn't sound like it's for me. It sounds like it's for tweens. You really don't know. And it takes a couple years for it to catch up to our age demographic. Um, and same thing with TikTok. Like I just got Oh Joy, but when I first signed up, I wasn't able to get it. And so um, I've learned to try to do that from now on. But again, you don't need to be everywhere. I would say to focus on one or two places. Such good advice. And I like that too, where, you know, if you hear about something, you catch the trends, you get, you get your name, but don't, we see so much overwhelm happen in our community, right? Like it's just overwhelmed. Like how do I be in all the places? Um, so I do have a question. So we like to talk about our baby businesses, like back in the day when you started Ojoy. If you were to start your company now, would you be the face of your brand? Because very much so you have two different Instagrams, right? You have your own personal Instagram and then you have the brand. And so there's a lot of pushback. Well, actually, let me go back. Do you identify as an introvert or an extrovert? Introvert. Okay. So I just want to... <laughs> Mina's laughing because Mina's the introvert in the relationship. I'm the extrovert. And she's had to really train herself to show up on video. And I feel like a lot of our product bosses really identify as introverts. They don't want to be the face of their brands. They're not sure how much of themselves to show. So I guess I wanted to kind of talk about that. If you were to start your business now, would you be the face of your brand? Or how would you juggle that between selling your products and also showing your face? If I were to start my business now, I would absolutely still be the face of my brand. I think that being the face of your brand, now it doesn't work. It's not meant for everybody, uh, every business, 100%. So I can never say that. But I do think for most of the people listening, based on who I know your demographic is, being the face of your brand makes a connection. Because I think the main thing is there's every day that passes, there's more people there's more Instagram accounts, there's more businesses, there's more names and taglines and websites and everything. There's just more of more. And it doesn't mean there's not a spot for you. There's always a spot for you. But the connection that you feel with people when there's a person attached to it is just so much more meaningful than a physical product. And granted, your products can be amazing. And that's why I say, you know, there are some brands where it's not meant, there's not meant to be a face because it's either so big or it's owned by a big corporation or it's not about that. So it is going to depend on what it is that you do. However, I, you know, I come across this a lot too with some of the businesses, business owners I mentor where they feel shy about it or they think nobody cares about what they're doing or nobody cares about. But the thing is, is you, it can't hurt to try. And every time you try and people see your face and they connect with you as a real human, I guarantee you in most cases, it will never be to your detriment. It will always help in some way. Now, I don't want you to do it though, if you completely hate it. And, and it makes you upset or it, it makes you dread doing your work. Like then that's not, that's not the point. Like, but if it's just, uh, I feel uncomfortable because it's new and it's different, 
then that's just a personal thing that we all have to work through. I mean, I know that you guys probably think I'm an extrovert, but I'm not. Like, I do not like talking to strangers. I am not the type of person who would go up to a group of people I do not know, like at a party or a networking thing. I hate it. Like, I'm comfortable with who I know. But this, talking to small groups of people or talking on your phone, even though it's probably to a lot of people, it's not the same thing to me as talking to like real people in real life in a random room. And so it takes some getting used to and it feels super weird at first, I I know. But, But when you see the connection that you make with people, it makes it worth it. And it's not just the connection for selling your product. Like, yes, that's obviously you want to sell your product, but it's also the connection of just being humans. I mean, for me, as much as I sometimes feel burnt out on social media or sometimes I need a break and we all need that break, the reason I still do it is because I'm able to connect with people in a way that makes us stronger, happier, inspired in some way. And that's what I hope to do in the things that I share, but also I still keep going to it because there are people that I follow that are doing amazing things that inspire me in some way too. Otherwise, then it's only one-sided. Like I need to feel the connection as well. And you know, when I share things, people who respond to me have things have things to offer. They have suggestions, like whether it's being a mom or a boss or just a human in life right now. I think we all are in it together in some way, and and this helps to kind of bring us closer. I love that. Um, I'm the same way. I, 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 I jokingly say that masks for COVID were kind of a blessing because you, people approach me all the time in Iowa because I have a very friendly face. They would stop me in the grocery store constantly, everywhere. And now that I have a mask on and sometimes sunglasses, they'll just you know go their separate ways. So it makes me feel more comfortable, I guess. So it was one of the gifts of COVID, I guess. So um, I know that your husband is a doctor and your kids, you show them often to your two girls. Um, did they feel that way about like, it, it seems very natural that you show them on social media, you show your life, you sh- it's so blended together very well. It's woven in there. Um, but do you um, ever have conversations around that as a family of like, how much do you want to show and um, what do you want to present to the world? Well, ironically, I actually don't show my kids much anymore. I don't know. It's been a very subtle shift. That I don't people, think people notice, but you rarely see, you know, it was my oldest daughter's 10th birthday uh, the other day. So it was one of the first photos you've probably seen of her in a while without a mask on. Um, but in the last couple years, I have been much more um, aware of showing my kids. Uh, They used to be all over my Instagram and the stories too. I mean, I don't have, I, for a long time, I have not included them in any sponsored posts. Like that's a rule I established at least five, six years ago. Um, But you would see them, it was under my terms. So to me, it's always under my terms. That's my personal rule. Not, it doesn't make sense for everybody because some people, their families are part of their brand, but my family is not part of my brand or my business. They're part of my personal life that I choose to share what tiny specs. But I've intentionally with the kids um, tried to show their faces less, you know, and, and the thing is, there's no set rule. I think you have to do what's right for you. I will share like a end of year family photo where we're all in it and you'll see them, but I'm not sharing them every day. I'm not sharing as much um, of just them anymore. And I make the exceptions for when it makes sense, but it evolves. And I think that you'll see that with influencers or bloggers or people who maybe started off sharing their pregnancy and then their new baby. And even like celebrities, I think sometimes do this too, where 
there's a stage where it feels okay and it feels safe. And then as they get a little bit older, you're like, uh, and it, again, it's so different for everybody. I'm at the phase where if I am going to pull something of my kids and I do decide that I'm going to make this exception, I do ask their permission. They're old enough at this point, um, to be aware of what it is. But for the most part, I actually don't. Um, and I have my husband refrain from it too. You know, we went on vacation recently and I, didn't tell people I went on vacation. I didn't share anything from our vacation. And it was the first time I had done that in years. And not just having to do with the kids, but just like, I can be on vacation and people don't have to know where. I don't have to answer a million questions about where I'm going and where you should eat and where you should shop and all of that. And as much as I love sharing that, I honestly do love providing recommendations. It's like one of my favorite things. It was, it was okay to take that break from it. Um, in terms of my husband, I mean, he, again, because I'm not like a mom Instagrammer um, you, or a family Instagrammer, you will see parts of him. I think his biggest way that he showed up in the last year has been these COVID talks that we've had. Um, I rarely showed him previously. I mean, every so often, but ne never intentionally. Um, but it's been really helpful. And I, I know that our audience has really appreciated just because with his background as a physician of children, and he runs a hospital where he's in charge of COVID protocol. He's just known a lot of information and he um, was able to provide that in a way that I think helped people a lot and made them feel informed, but in a way that he could explain that makes sense, you know? And, and so we've had, I think six, six um, IG lives since March, 2020 um, that are on my IG TV. Um, as things progress and as different phases have come through and it's been it's been fun for us to do because it's been such a tough time that like if we can help provide some information for people um, to make them feel a little more comfortable then I'll take advantage of his expertise in that way. <laughs> I, uh, well, we've appreciated it. So thank you for doing that, right? Um, so yeah, that's really interesting sort of how you've transitioned. We're talking to our masterminders, which are our highest level of, of um, product bosses that we work with right now. We're talking about the story of them, right? So we what we've talked about, do you show your face? And then also the story of the creation, like their founder story, their why. Um, and so everybody has these incredible stories of you know, there might have been traumatic things that happened. Some of those things have, gen you know, created the idea of their businesses, um, and other things that have just happened. And they really tried to juggle and figure out what do I show of that. And I know when we got on the mm -hmm. call with you, you had said, "Well, you know about me because it's what I've chosen to share." So, yeah. what would you give as advice to product bosses, founder, uh, you know, people that are trying to sh to blend the two of what's in like, how do they relate that to their customer? What's important to share or how much of it stays business? Because you're very much a personal brand now and the overall like product brand. Um, but, you know, coming at it from the brand perspective, what would you give advice for? I think it has to be based on what's comfortable for you. You know, I, I see some people who have fully developed brands that are not necessarily, you know, they could be an interior designer. They could be, you know, there's like a, the, the business isn't just what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And some people will immediately share a loss, you know, whatever that might be. will immediately share like sicknesses in the family or immediately share um, a separation, you know, things that are, that are hard and tough because for them, this is a community that they can find not only joy from, but also support and all of that. But I've also seen some people where 
a month or two later, they'll talk about it because they're not ready. And it, it, I can't really, you know, obviously I can't tell you what makes sense for you, but it has to feel right. There's been a lot of things that I have not shared and will never share because either it's um, too personal or it involves family members who's are not part of social media and it's not my story to tell. Um, you know, there's some stuff that's going on right now that I am not going to share because it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's for me and it's for my family to go through and to work through. Um, but at the same time, there are parts where I think that if I've gone through something and I can come out to the other side and be like, Hey, you know what? This was going on and now I've learned from it and I've figured out how to, how to get through this situation or how to support my family member in this situation. Here's what I can share. And that's kind of the way that I see it, you know, it, as it makes sense, but it really depends what's, what's right for you. I don't think there's ever too much. I mean, sure, there could be too much, but the way that things are right now, because I do think that most people love the connection, I think your audience and your customers, if you're already showing your face, you know, if that's already part of the conversation, they want to be a part of it with you. So it's almost up to you to pull back and to keep some things private. And I think that what's interesting is that we sometimes think that we see everything about somebody based on what we follow. But remember that that's still like a speck. It's like 1%. There's so much we don't see. And I remind people of that when they feel like someone's life is perfect or they feel like someone's kids are perfectly behaved or they feel like they're, someone's marriage is perfect, whatever you think the other person is going through, remember, it's only a tiny, tiny, tiny speck. I do think that people are getting better now at sharing like not all so perfect stuff because that's what we want. And we've all been through this last year and a half that sucks. And so it's very hard to try to pretend like everything's perfect when it's been hard for all of us. Um, but I think that it's more, it's harder for us to pull back and not share too much and like save some of it for ourselves. I think that's very valuable as well. Hey friends, are you unsure of what to say on social media or what to even send in your weekly emails? Well, what if creating content could be easy? Would you be looking for a shortcut to creating consistent content? Yes, consistent content, because you know consistency is key. Well, let me tell you, you are not alone when you feel like you're struggling on what to post or what to write in emails. And we know that you have that product part of your business down. But as you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know that to get more people to your products, to buy your products, you need to create great content. Oh, I know, I see. I keep saying content and that's the dreaded C word. And we can't tell you how many product bosses tell us that they want to create great content for their audience and their customers, but they don't know what to say, or they are so busy, they can't find the time, or they really, really, really don't want to be the face of their brand. Well, no worries, because that's exactly why we created a year of content. It is your shortcut to creating consistent content that resonates with your audience and brings more loyal customers who can't wait to buy your products. If you want to see how easy this is and how easy it is to create content for your audience and your customers, head to www.ayearofcontent.com. Thank you for sharing that. And it goes back to exactly what you said in the very beginning, which was that connection. Like what connection do you want to have with your community and your customers and how is that important to them? Um, So I wanted to jump into talking about 
uh, back in the day with Ojoy and your team. So when you first started, you started as a blogger. Who were your first hires that you made and sort of how has it transitioned with your team from the beginning of Ojoy to what it looks like now? Oh, wow. So um, in 2005 is when I started my business. I started initially in terms of team with um, a couple um, interns because at the time I couldn't afford full-on employees. So I had a few college interns who would come for a summer or a semester. And that was back when I was doing freelance design. I had just started doing some product design. I did have a blog, but the blog wasn't making money yet. So it was they were really helping with like design things. Um, it wasn't probably until 2011 or so. Yeah, 2011 that I actually started looking for full-time employees. Um, part of it was I had since then moved to LA. I had gotten, I was in the middle of negotiating my first target contract. I was sort of ready to expand. Like 2011 is when I had my first daughter. So after that, within the first couple of years after that, I was like, what is next? What's this next phase of Ojoy? So by about 2013, I had hired my first employee part-time. My first hire was a part-time admin assistant to help with emails and correspondence and meetings and all the things that are just sort of inundated with, with um, all that stuff, as you know. Um, soon after, I hired a part-time designer who was going to help me with uh, designing our first Target collection because I had just signed this contract where I was going to have to design like 200 products in a year. And I was doing it all myself prior to that. But we had to handle not only design and production and files. And it was just so much logistical stuff on top of the other parts of my business. You know, that was just one part of it. And then I also hired a part-time stylist who was going to help with content for some of the DIYs and things that we were doing. So pretty much in my first year of hiring, I hired three part-time people who eventually became full-time in that first year. The way that I did it, I think is a little bit different because I had such different things I needed to fill and I got very specific people to do it. But I think most people, the very first hire is usually some sort of assistant. Um, and what that assistant does really varies based on what you need and what you are not good at or what you don't like to do. And in most cases, it's usually admin stuff. Um, but some, for some people, they need a right-hand person who is going to help with design work or a right-hand person who's going to help with shipping or whatever that might be. So it's really what can sort of an assistant do for you that makes sense for what you need. Um, and so from there, we grew eventually to seven full-time people, um, including myself. Everybody had a very specific role. And that's where we were at the beginning of 2020. Um, in February of 2020, I actually decided to scale back my team pre-COVID, not knowing that was going to happen. The, my business had just sort of evolved a lot. And I think that I was feeling at a point where I either needed to take investment and really grow it bigger, like with C-level um, executives, really just take it to like the next level kind of a thing. Or I needed to get a little bit more where it was more compact. And I don't want to say downsize or like scale down in a way that sounds negative. It was really more about how much, how, how do I want this to evolve? Because I think that 
we always think that bigger is better. We always think that more employees means more money. We always think that it means that you're more successful. And that's what I thought too. And I thought I was doing something wrong where I was at seven. I was like, oh my gosh, this feels very overwhelming. And it felt, you know, it got to the point where I was spending more time in the, the management of people and um, having to do business stuff. I wasn't as creative because there was just so much to have to do. And I decided to, you know, take it, take it to a place that felt more comfortable for me. And also for my personal life, I felt was feeling stretched very thin. I felt like I wasn't around for my kids and I wanted to be able to um, bring my workload down a little bit, but I couldn't do that when I had as many people as I had and as many paychecks as I had to pay. Um, and we were never funded. I never took investors. And so I had made that difficult decision in February of 2020. And so now we're two full-time people, including myself. Plus we have freelancers still who will do projects with us from time to time. And that change came right before COVID, which is also ironic because um, COVID would have probably changed things anyway, had that not happened. Um, but I'm, I'm at a place where, oh, joy is still, oh, joy. We do pretty much all the same things we were doing before. We did close certain parts of the business that weren't really like the main parts anyway, but I'm focusing on the things that I really love and I'm having the opportunity to be a little bit more choosy with my projects, um, because I can look at money and finances a little bit differently. And it's felt very, it's felt very freeing in that sense. And I feel, uh, very happy with sort of the evolution, you know, it's still very bittersweet for me to not have that big team because Really, there were so many amazing things that happened with it, but I realized that I needed to also feel content in my day-to-day -day and I needed to be able to feel like I could manage everything. And I wasn't, I wasn't managing everything very well by the end of it. I wasn't doing a great job. Um, from the outside, everything seemed fine, but on the inside, I was really not, I was really struggling to just sort of keep it all together. And I, I, that was a change I needed to make. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right in that um, 2020 probably would have like, it shook us all by the shoulders and we were like, what's important to us now? And what do we want our lives to actually look like? You know, so with you having a lean team versus a bigger team and um, making your life what it is, because that's ultimately why we all work so hard is our dream life and whatever version that is. Um, one of the, the dream things that I've always seen you do is um, do collaborations or do licensing through different products and really shown your style and your aesthetic through that. I think I remember one of the really cool ones was I really loved your um, collaboration with Band-Aid. I thought she's really put uh, this commodity thing on the map for kind of being cool and designer-esque, you know? And so I thought that was really, you know, just an amazing way to approach something that was so ordinary and then up-leveled it in a way, you know? So what are how do you decide if you do a collaboration? Does the company usually approach you? Do you approach the company? Uh, and um, how does that usually work on the, the behind the scenes? So licensing, if you're not familiar with it, licensing is basically the idea of partnering with another company who makes a product. You are the artist, either the designer of patterns or illustrations or graphics or whatever that might be. And you partner with them to put your art on their products. And so the reason that I went into it was because I originally did have my own stationary line. I always wanted to have products. And I started with stationary because to me, it was the cheapest with paper. Um, but the logistics of it, as all of you know, who might be doing your own manufacturing, is that you need to get it made. You need to place orders. You probably need to place orders of 
large quantities and then try to sell it. And then as you're selling it, you need to place orders for new stuff. And then you're constantly shifting, you know, your inventory and your money and all of that. And, and I was only doing stationery, which is like the cheapest product of all the products that could exist. But I wasn't, I wasn't, happy the way that it was going. It was fine. We did it. We got into some great stores, had some amazing press, um, but I did it that way for two years before I realized that I needed a change. Now, here's the thing that I can tell you from just a couple of the stories I'm sharing with you is that I do give everything in my business a couple years to really sink in. I do think that you don't know in the first six months or the first three months or whatever, if something's going to work, you do need to give it some time. So two years has kind of been a good benchmark for me for a new part of my business. The stationary line being an example, I had also um, had an online shop for a couple years uh, more recently where we started selling other brands things and sort of doing a whole e-com thing. And we gave that two years before I decided to close it. So back to the licensing, I started, started dipping my toes into that, into that um, after I realized that the way I was manufacturing was not working for me. And so I started really small. I started with um, doing the stationery for another stationery company who had a bigger presence and they could, they could market it and I could just design it and then make money off of that. And typically the way that it works is um, you make a commission. Now it's very different. You know, I teach classes about this topic all the time, but it can be very complicated, but to give you sort of a brief overview, you either make a flat fee per design, but in most cases you make a royalty, which is a percentage of sales with the partnership. Now that partnership could be a quick in and out. Hey, this is going to be out for as long as it sells. And if it sells in a week or a month, it's done. Or it could be a long-term partnership. You know, we've had long-term partnerships with Target. For, we had a three-year um, partnership with them. We were with Band-Aid for four years. Um, we were with a company called CalPath where we did luggage for two or three years. And so some of those were our longer-term one. And then we have some where it's a quick in and out. You know, we did a soft soap launch earlier this year. We did a Puffs um, tissue box thing. And those are, they're going to go up once they're off shelves and they sell out, they're done. And the way that they come about really varies. For us, I think that a lot of people think that everything comes to me. And because I've been doing this for so long, I was like, oh, everyone just contacts Joy and she just gets all these opportunities. But I mean, I pitched Target. I pitched Band-Aid. I pitched a lot of things. Most things, I would say it's usually about 75% of, of the ones that you guys know about, um, I pitched. Now, yes, people come to us, people come to us all the time, but the people who come to us aren't always the brands that I also think are a right fit. I, you know, just like anything else, whether it's with social media partnerships or brand partnerships or licensing partnerships, it has to be a good fit for both people. So just because people come to you doesn't necessarily mean that you should say yes. And obviously there's so many variables, even if you're interested beyond that, before you know if it's going to work out having to do with money and terms and all these contractual things. But typically, um, it's been a mix of that. I do now have an agent who helps with it, um, not only with pitching, but with negotiating the contracts. And we've had phases of having an agent, not having an agent, handling things on our own, having an agent handle it. So I've experienced it all. And um, an agent is certainly helpful if you have had the experience to know what it is that you want and, you know, because you need to know what you want in the relationship for an agent to be able to push for you and to fight for you and to make sure the contract is in your favor as well um, and have experienced it. So I'm happy that I got to negotiate some of those on my own, but I'm also now happy to hand it over to someone else to do that for us. 
we're sort of seeing the trend. And thank you for sharing all that. I was going to say, I have um, your Band-Aid box. I told Mina, she's like, I remember the Band-Aids. And I was like, I have the like first aid kit of Sarastel from Target. Um, but uh, what we're seeing as a trend moving forward, especially a lot of people do do Facebook ads and are doing sort of paid marketing. Um, but what we're seeing is it's this idea of collaboration and partnership, even on the smaller scale. So while we're talking about licensing and those bigger collabs with Target and Band-Aid, um, I think that smaller businesses can also think within our community even, how do I collab? Or if there's a smaller influencer that they may want to work with. So what would you do you agree with that? What advice would you give on these like smaller collabs to get in front of each other's audiences? Um, and do you see that as a trend too? Absolutely. I mean, collaborations, I think, from the have been a thing for m- many, many years. You know, I had given an example of the first designers that collaborated with Target, and that was in the early 2000s. Like Isaac Mizrahi and Cynthia Rowley were some of the early ones. But you also see that in music. You know, like these days, you can't see a song that's not like this person featuring this person. Like it's just sort of the thing to do but it has to make sense. And to me, it doesn't have to be big company, small company, you know, big company, it can be any number of things. And, you know, and even interestingly enough, within my own community of my own um, students, I've seen them collab together because they meet each other through classes and stuff. And one will have this company and they decide to do a collaboration. So it's really about what both people are bringing to the table. Some people see collaborations as a way to increase their exposure. And so sometimes they'll go to these brands that they're like, oh, that person is going to help me. And that's so great. But you shouldn't think of it that way. You should think, how can I help them? How can this be a mutual thing. You come at it from one talent and one set of skills, um, and then they come at it from another, and that these two things together can be really great. And the word collab is so vague, you know, because a collaboration sometimes is sending an influencer product and hoping that they'll wear it and share it. That to me is very different than something that involves money or payment or a long-term partnership. So I just want to make sure that when you are approaching somebody, whether it's through email or through DM, or you have some interest, don't say the word collaboration, say what it is that you want, because it's so vague. And I can't tell you how many emails I get that say, let's collab together. I was like, I don't know what you, do you want me to do a sponsor post? Do you want to do a licensing partnership? Do you want to just talk to me over email? Like, I don't know. Um, so be very clear and, and be very clear about what you can bring to the table or how you imagine the two of your brands working together. And that is the clearest thing you can do where you just put it all up front and make sure. And, and it, if you sound well thought out and the person agrees with you, that's the beginning of a great conversation, whatever it might be. And there's so many ways for it to happen. I really like, I know you mean as another question, but you're saying, say what it is that you want, which maybe as women, we didn't grow up. And then I know Mina was raised in her Asian family that she wasn't supposed to speak or be heard. Yeah. (laughs) Which is so funny because you were saying, I appeased my parents by going to a college that had a good program just in case. I appeased my parents by marrying a pharmacist. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because it's just like, okay, it's okay if I go into this creative realm, (laughs) but you know what? They got this guy. So... (laughs) So jokingly, but true. Um, So um, one of the things that I really loved about your story is that it just shows people that you're not an overnight success. I think we get to see so many different things. So we're like, oh, 
that person has made it so quickly or they have this now and you just get lost in that person's story thinking it happened so fast or why can't I be there and that sort of thing and the comparison of it. Um, and you've done such incredible things. Are there things in your journey that you felt like were the, the best or the most memorable or um, the things that really felt like a dream? Like I know you were invited to the White House, for example, like that had to have been something truly once in a lifetime, right? So what were some things along the way that felt like a really big milestone that you could really hold on to? Um, I mean, for sure, Target, which is probably no surprise to anybody. But I think that for me, even though we weren't in Target until my company had already been around for eight some years, it was one of those things where number one, it was always on my like dream, dream list. And I had had a taste of it designing for Cynthia Rowley, whose line was at Target. But my goal was for it to be under my my name and my future business and all of that. But um, I think the thing with that was just that it allowed me to, to not only have exposure to so many more people being in however many thousands of Target stores, but also it allowed, it was a time of my life where I had a young daughter. Um, my oldest, who's now 10, was three, I believe, when my first line came out. And she had, was around when I was working on it. She was around when I was styling the photo shoot. She was around when it launched in stores. And then my second was, was in my belly when we launched our first collection. But um, it, was, it was the beginning of her starting to understand stuff, life, and her starting to see what her mom does. And I think that at the time too, I was feeling so much guilt about being a working parent and how do you juggle all that, which, you know, we could talk for three more hours on, but it was something that all of my hard work sort of being able to show something tangible. Cause it's sometimes hard to show your kid what you do. Like some jobs you cannot, you know, it's, it's completely they can either can't understand it, they can never see it, or it's hard to explain whatever it is. But that was the first time I had something tangible to be like, mommy designed this, then they made it and they put it in the store and now it's for sale and people are going to go buy it and then put it in their house and it's going to make them happy. Like, and you can just sort of see that line. And so for me, it was so pivotal, not only because of Target, but it was also like that part of my life. Um, and it sort of coming full circle with, with my family. And then the White House thing, that was, that was cool um, because uh, it was it was Obama's last term at the White House, and it was for their Easter egg roll that they do every year. And I think they used to have someone in house design the Easter eggs, and so they asked me. Michelle Obama's team asked me to design the branding for it, which at the time I was no longer doing client work. I wasn't designing for other people, but I was like, okay, I guess I can make an exception for Like if the Obamas call, I'll take them as a client. (laughs) Exactly. And the crazy thing about that experience is that it was a very fast turnover. Like I kind of had to finish it all like in a week. And um, one of my kids got the flu that week. I got the flu. So I had one, one baby in one room, like trying to sleep and one like with a fever and throwing up. So she was like sleeping on the floor in our room so that we could keep them separate. And then I had a fever and I was like trying to do work on my laptop in the middle of the night, like in my bedroom while sitting next to this child that was not feeling well. And it was just craziness. It was just a time of my life that I remember was so hectic and you just do whatever you need to do. Um, And then we get to go and we got to meet them. And it was just so meaningful, especially 
you know, knowing that that time pre, pre the last few years, it was such like this beautiful time of life. Um, and looking back at that was really cool. And my kids got to go and they don't remember because it was so long ago at this point, but to have that photo was pretty, pretty epic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think it is incredible. Even do, designing for Obama, uh, the Michelle Obama also and visiting the White House, but also I remember things that I did when the, it, you're just in a different season of life and you're like, how did I even manage my way through that? You know? So I think we'll probably end with this question and that is, how do you manage it all? Do you help have help in your home? Do you, um, do you have any tips? Like how do you balance or try to balance all the things? It's, I will probably say this through the end of time that I always shift the word from balance to juggle because balance implies to me a level of perfection and juggle is like you just are doing your best. And most of us cannot juggle. Like I like legit don't know how to juggle three balls like physically. And that's what it feels like every day um, with just life and everything, you know? Um, And I think especially when you throw kids into the mix, it's like one extra factor that you, you can't, one thing I learned early on that was very hard for me was that you can't have the level of control over your kids and parenting as you put over everything else. You know, your work day, you getting work done. There's a certain like list and you can check things off and blah, 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 blah. And kids like don't fall into that. Like you can't just be like, boom, 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 boom. Like they have like all these other feelings and emotions and things going on that you don't expect. And you, every given day is so different. So help help in every single facet at work, whether that's, you know, a nine to five job, whether it's your business that you run, it's like, who is helping you to get your work done or keep you getting your work done or helping you with your business? Like who or who is your team, your employees, all of that at home? Is that having a conversation with your partner to be like, Hey, this is the stuff that I'm great at. This is the stuff that you're great at. These are the things that we need to accomplish. How are we going to do this in any given day or time or week? And I think it's taken a long, you know, my husband and I've had multiple conversations over the years. It's not something that has to happen every day because you fall into a rhythm, but seasons change. You go from having a baby to a toddler and then to a kid, and then they have sports games and then they have all these activities and you have to adjust of who's doing what. But if you take on everything, as women always do, you assume you have to do it, then you're going to explode and you're going to sit in the corner and cry, which is what I have done multiple times in phases of my life. But your, your partner, he or she, whoever that might be, is, is part of this unit. If you, you know, and so ask for that help. Also, whether it's grandparents, friends, um, nanny, babysitter, like whoever that needs to be within your help of, if you, ha- if you have childcare, you need them to help pick up kids after school, any of that. And not, none of it is wrong. Like there's no wrong person to ask to help you. It de- just depends on who your resources are and who you have nearby and what makes sense based on your schedule. Um, and yeah, just giving yourself like the grace to know that you're not going to be perfect and there's really no perfect person ever and at the end of the day everyone still loves you for who you are even if you mess up and you forgot to pack your kid's lunch or you didn't get this 
specific thing done on your to-do list that you thought you were going to do, or you forgot to email your friend because it was her anniversary or whatever. And just everything's going to be okay. And it doesn't feel like that, but it really is. And, And it's really the most pressure that you put on is of you. And it's not usually coming from anybody else. Such good advice. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> One super quick question, because I'm super curious. This is going to be like picking your favorite child, but not. Um, you have written six books. You're on your way to write, writing seven. What is your favorite book that you want to suggest to our audience that they grab for themselves or somebody oh, else? It's so hard because the, the, the interesting thing about my author authoring experience is that it's really been such a mix and so I'm going to be terrible and not be able to pick one for you. But like <laughs> our, my first two were business books. And then I wrote like a coffee table DIY book. And then I did three kids books. And then the next one is going to be another kids book, but for slightly older kids. And so it really is going to depend on what your level of interest is. But you can find them all on my website at ojoy.com. Maybe we um, should do a giveaway of all the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when should. Should. yeah, when's uh-huh. the next one coming out? The next one is going to be available for pre-order in November, but it doesn't, it doesn't, won't get to you till early next year. All right. Well, let's do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, okay. Well, thank you for that. And yeah, we'll do a giveaway because we love education mixed with entertainment and all the things. And so all the books I think will make sense for our audience. Um, (laughs) so everyone, if you would like to follow Joy, you can follow her on Instagram and you can also find all the things at ojoy.com. And what's your Instagram handle? We'll put it in the show notes as well. It's at ojoy. Yep. That's what I thought. I didn't want to mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing so much and going across, you know, the, the range of topics, but really how you've integrated your life, the seasons of life, your family into it, being a creative, um, first generation American, all the things I think are just so valuable to our audience. So we really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here and listening all the way through the product class podcast. If you love our show and it has helped you in any way in your business, would you mind doing two things for us? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Reviews help other product entrepreneurs know that this is the place to be to grow their businesses and realize that they're not alone. And we know that you all know that a five-star and honest review helps you sell more products to more people. So you know that your reviews help us reach more listeners around the world. Remember, what we give is what we receive. And we are all about helping each other in the product boss community. We are all in this together. We would be so appreciative of you if you could take the time right now to subscribe, leave a review, and even share this episode on social or someone you know so we can impact more lives. And remember, subscribing means that you will get notified each time we release a new episode so you never miss a thing. You have helped us grow and climb into the top 10 of all marketing podcasts and together we can keep climbing. Thank you, friends. And remember, there is room at the top for all of us. This episode is brought to you by the Shop One in Five Pledge and Small Business Shopping Directory. It's a commitment to make one in five of your purchases from a small business online or offline. So head to shoponeinfive.com to take the pledge. And friend, while you are there, check out and shop from hundreds of small businesses in the Small Business Shopping Directory. It's the go-to directory to discover, support, and shop small businesses all in one place. Head to shop1in5.com.